Hey coaches, we have a special podcast for you this month with tennis tech expert, Jeff Russell. Jeff worked for USTA player development for 13 years alongside many of the top players and coaches in the world. Jeff is a leader in sports performance and data analysis. He leverages innovative solutions in optical data, visions, and wearable technologies to provide objective, measurable feedback with a focus on development. He is now working as a consultant for a number of college tennis teams, helping them to maximize their use of technology as it applies to player development and recruitment. In this podcast, Jeff and Dave discuss how coaches can implement some level of technology into their coaching modalities, what mistakes he's seen coaches make when trying to help players reach their full potential, and some themes he sees emerging after watching hundreds of hours of college tennis over the last several months. If you are implementing or looking to implement technology into your program, this is a podcast you won't want to miss. Jeff Russell, welcome to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. Thanks uh, so much, Dave, for having me and uh, really looking forward to talk with you today. Yeah, lots of interesting topics I want to get into you into with you um, today and, and uh, learn more about your experiences and some of the work that you're doing with college programs right now. But you you worked with the USTA player development team for 12 years. Can you share with us some of your major roles and responsibilities in that capacity? Yeah, so uh, back in 2010, Martin Blackman, you know, the current GM of player development, hired me to help build the new talent identification and development uh, department, which ultimately turned into the, our player ID department. And the mission of player ID was to, to really build a junior development pathway to help identify, train, and develop the next wave of American players in conjunction with the USTA sections and private coaching community. And so this was really the first step in kind of building this whole Team USA uh, brand and kind of working together in, uh, for a collective effort around American tennis. And so um, when, when Martin ended up coming back to the USTA in 2014, he had uh, spoken with a lot of the players uh, and coaches uh, kind of before he took the position. And one of the, th the things that, keep, that kept coming up was just the need for more support and helping players kind of reach the top 100. And so that's when the second part of my job in, in player development really took place with, with Kathy Rinaldi and, and Tom Gullickson, both uh, who I call captains. Uh, you know, obviously Tom being with the, uh, the, the, the Davis Cup captain and Kathy being the Fed Cup captain, um, but uh, worked with them in implementing a professionalized performance team approach for our players and really providing them world-class services. So it was a, it was a fun 12 years. I learned a lot, met a lot of great people, but now have the opportunity, I think, to really help impact uh, the college space, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, we'll definitely get into that some more, Jeff, now that we've laid the context for, for some of your experiences there. And, and obviously you've worked with some of the best players in the world um, and some of the best coaches in the world as well. And, and you've observed those coaches both here in the U.S. and internationally. But how have coaching methods changed in recent years with the adoption of newer and cheaper technologies or have they? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I want to say to that is nothing at the end of the day replaces the coach's eye and the coach's gut. And so, you know, a lot of times we have a lot of great technologies. And I think the idea of how you can maximize these technologies as a tool to provide context is really important. It doesn't replace the coach, but it ultimately enhances uh, what the coach uh, can do with the athlete and, and how they can use the information 
to really help shape the long-term development of the, the athlete. So that's really, I think, an important thing to kind of uh, notate before we go into uh, any of that. But I mean, as, as someone who is a former coach and I think always is coaching, uh, do you see anything that uh, kind of hits your, your uh, fancy when it comes to this, uh, this area and what, you're, and what you're hearing with the other coaches? I didn't realize I was going to get asked questions today, Jeff, but um, no, I mean, it's, it's very clear uh, over the last several years that as these tools have become more widespread, uh, as they've become cheaper, as, as coaches really learn from one another, right? You go to another campus, you see what the coach is doing, what tools they're using. Uh, hopefully you're asking some questions and, and figuring out what might work for, for your setup, for your budget. Um, so, and then with just, you know, everybody has a phone in their pocket and there's a lot of different apps. And, and I think sometimes maybe we make it more complicated than it needs to be. I think technology, uh, plays a role in, in many aspects of our life and, and coaching should not be any different, but I love your point about, you know, uh, not replacing the, the coach's eye or the coach's gut too much. It's there to, uh, you know, enhance that experience for both the coach and the player. So, um, I'm just, I'm fascinated to see where it all goes and with AI and, and generative AI, um, how does that assist the process going forward? And can we get these uh, data points into actionable items and, and help provide solutions sooner rather than later? But, um, you know, well, along, along those lines, Jeff, as well, are, uh, you know, have, have you found that maybe some coaches are relying too much on technology or, or the data that they're receiving? Um, no, I mean, I think a, a lot of what technology is there to do is help create more efficiencies and make it easier to watch video and combine data. I think you made a really important point about trying to simplify um, things and and really trying to kind of to narrow down to what is really the most important thing. And I think that's where a, a lot of people can get lost is in, in how you interpret it and what you're trying to interpret. Um, and you can get lost in the numbers. So I think the one mistake I see a lot of coaches making is only looking at the numbers and then making decisions around performance just based on the data. And I think that's where it's really important for, um, coaches to to really have the ability to connect the video uh, with the data because the the video at the end of the day is what provides the context um, and uh, to what you're actually looking at with regards to the numbers so um, I think coaches should continue to find more systematic ways to review uh, match video post match with athletes um, and really just trying to find simple ways to to really communicate and, and visually show these athletes uh, some of the things that you're talking about um, so that you can continue to keep working towards developing those skills and I think really being more intentional with how you structure and organize your practices. Mm -hmm. And Jeff, for, for coaches that are, are managing large rosters, I mean, those efficiencies become even more important. They may not have as much um, individual time. They may not be able to capture as much footage as they would like. Is there any key points um, or, or any strategies or, or, or ideas for these coaches? I mean, where, where should they be putting their time and efforts to get the biggest return on their investment? 
I mean, I think really at the end of the day, it's just, it's really honing in on, on finding one thing that really feels the most important thing with the athlete and then trying to figure out how you want to kind of measure that and, or, or, or if it's something you want to measure, or if it's just something that you want to capture from a visual standpoint to be able to show the athlete using the eye tests that things have, uh, have changed, you know, being able to put either stroke techniques side by side, but really at the end of the day, I think it's, uh, it's really being systematic with with how you use it, what you're using it for, and really being targeted with the approach. Um, or you can get really kind of consumed with just, you know, chasing a rabbit down a down a hole. Mm -hmm. And Jeff, I mean, do you agree with me that that coaches should be attempting to integrate some level of technology into their coaching methodologies? Yeah, I mean, in today's uh, world with the, you know, how athletes learn today, you know, I think, you know, having uh, coaches or teams that are integrating technology into what they do is really important because it's what the, the, the current athlete today is used to. It's, it's how, they, how they're currently growing up, even within the junior uh, space. I mean, I know video even at the uh, national championships for the, the 16s and 18s has even become way more prevalent um, in today's age people are getting their matches reviewed by their coaches virtually and so video and data is are you know, is currently being used in the junior space and i so i think it's something that the athletes are becoming used to as part of how they how they ingest information and how they learn and so i think it is really important for coaches uh, to to adopt this, but I think it's it's kind of how they adopt it, and really why they're adopting it, um, and really I think it has to become part of what their their culture is and who they are as a as a program. It's just not something that you can try to kind of piecemeal in. It's really takes a full commitment. Mm -hmm. And Jeff, I mean, you're 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 working with some of our um, most experienced college coaches um, that that may have some larger budgets to be able to to uh, facilitate you know using technology and and really getting to, to grips with the data and and helping that inform their practices but are what are some ways coaches maybe with limited resources and, and limited experience they're they're relatively new to this profession maybe they haven't coached junior players are coming straight into college coaching um, but do you have any thoughts on how they can get started on this journey? Yeah, I think just start small. Um, you know, a lot of this starts with coaches trying to answer questions. And so I think, you know, identifying different ways that you can look to kind of get some of your, your uh, questions answered. And so there are a lot of, um, you know, new apps out there and new technologies uh, that are taking some of the uh, more uh, higher end technologies and making it affordable for the for the uh, the general coaching and in, in, in tennis playing communities. And so that's really exciting. And so you know companies like Swing Vision for the tactical piece, being able to uh, use it as a tool to really break up the matches and, and be able to watch a two hour match in 25 minutes is is uh, is, is unbelievable. Um, being able to get some very high level, information around uh, stroke output uh, is just a uh, complete icing on the cake and then having the ability to potentially use that technology to stream your, your matches in a very affordable way uh, to, to continue to allow your program to gain exposure, a home run, you know? So again, 
very simple, easy solution, cost effective, but I think it allows you to kind of check a lot of different boxes. Um, if you're looking to address you know, technical issues, you can look at, you know, for an app that costs $9.99, you can purchase a Coach's Eye program that allows you to capture a side-by-side -side stroke technique and then use you know, a voiceover to communicate a message in a very simple way that can be then sent through the phone to the athlete. So again, a lot of it depends on what you want to try to do, what you're trying to accomplish, but there's very easy and, and, uh, and cost-effective ways that allow uh, really brings us to a level playing field, which is really kind of cool to see. Mm. And and Jeff, since leaving the USTA uh, several months ago, you've really taken a deep dive in, into the college space and you've watched, I'm sure, thousands of hours of college tennis now, either live or, or, or on video. Um, what are some of the themes that you've identified? And, and you should preface that you, you've watched thousands of hours, you know, mostly at the top end of, of Division One. But I think a lot of these uh, trends usually trickle down to, to, to all levels and then ultimately down to the juniors and keeps recycling from there. But what are some of those things, whether strengths, weakness, patterns, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, as someone who played and competed in college tennis, uh, in 2000, 2004, um, I'm just su super impressed with the overall level and depth of, of the game. I mean, I even watched the Division Three uh, championship matches in Orlando, and the level was just was unbelievably high. And so I think the overall depth of, of college tennis has improved, and um, I think the overall professionalization of these programs has improved. They continue to keep trying to raise the bar and set the standards higher with how they look to function um, and what services they like to try to provide their athletes. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I see a lot of fewer weaknesses in players games. Um, and, you know, I, I've always felt that college tennis has been a great place to, to develop kind of the all court game um, and really transitioning to the net. And, and, and you're seeing uh, athletes um, getting to the net, uh, but just maybe a little bit of, uh, in a different way. And, and, and it still starts with the serve, but, you know, maybe from the serve and volley now, it's a serve plus one in attack. And so, you know, I really think the, the, the players are looking to be uh, offensive and look to try to take time, which is really good to see because that's ultimately tennis is a game of time. Um, and so continuing to use the net as a, as a form of pressure, um, you're seeing a lot of, I mean, I haven't seen anyone winning less than 65% of their, of their net approaches when they're coming forward in, in a lot of these matches. And so when you, when you look at kind of uh, how do you create pressure uh, within a match, the net is still a big form of pressure and, and, and people are being rewarded for coming forward. So that's, uh, that's really good to see. Um, uh, you know, it's really, you talked about, um, you know, tennis at all levels. I, I think a lot of what I'm seeing are just still foundational things um, and really at the end of the day if you think about tennis in its simplest form uh, tennis is really about hitting the ball as hard as you can as far away from your opponent without missing right and so um, if you want to boil tennis down into its simplest form that's it and so whether you're uh, playing in junior tennis whether you're playing in college tennis or the pro tennis um, you know we still need to continue to keep thinking about how we can create the ability to move the ball, right? And so the, the cross court 
uh, ability to play cross court from a neutral ball is, is super important. And I think it's something that still needs to continue to be addressed because that's what ultimately sets you up to, to, to get your opponent off balance, to, to ultimately get your opponent off the baseline, and then to be able then to make the court wider and bigger um, is, is really still the foundation of how you play. And so I think uh, coaches can continue to keep working on the simple foundational skills of, of really good, strong depth, good width, and then being able to start moving the ball. Um, and then, you know, with that, I think a lot of this comes down to recognition and movement. And so, you know, the more these, these athletes can continue to keep uh, playing uh, points in different situations and practice, um, you know, a lot of live ball training, a lot of situational uh, play, um, but really trying to work on understanding kind of what your ball does to your opponent after it comes off of your strings. And I think a lot of players I'm seeing are still reacting uh, to the ball coming off their opponent's strings. And so they're really not thinking about how they're playing this, this point um, in, 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 in patterns, right? And, and playing one shot ahead. And really, so I think really trying to get the recognition focus more on the on uh, the shot that they're sending, what that does to their opponent and then making the decision on how they're gonna move, um, you know, with their recovery and to address the next ball. And uh, um, so I think the recognition and the footwork and the, uh, the movement patterns really go hand in hand. But I think that's really gonna promote a lot more diagonal movement in, in, in athletes recognizing more opportunities to take time. Hmm. And, and Jeff, do you think uh, part of the issue is that there's maybe too much fed ball coaching going on and, uh, or, or what, uh, what might be your recommendation? You talked about live ball there and the importance of that. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's as much uh, feeding. I think maybe, I think as coaches, we can sometimes still maybe overfeed, it, it, especially if there's multiple players on the court, having them being able to hit with one another in more of a closed setting. Um, you know, to still continue to address maybe more movement uh, skills is, is really important. But um, I think just continuing to get um, players more aware of their game and their identity as a player um, and being a lot more intentional with then how they um, how they kind of set up those strengths um, and using the, the, the patterns or the combination of shots to, to be able to set those those, those strengths up is really important. So I think the more the coaches can continue to keep, um, you know, working on um, the player's understanding of their game identity, how they win points, how they lose points, there's going to create a level, a different level of awareness maybe of what or how the players are going to create that offense and where the opportunities might uh, exist um, as they kind of work through those drills. Mm -hmm. And in terms of working on the quality of their, their cross-court neutral ball, um, how do you like to see players do that? Or, or what are the pros doing to work on that ball? Yeah, I mean, there's a great drill where you set the cone up in the middle of the, you know, within probably four to six feet of the baseline, more towards the uh, middle to outside a third. And then you have the, the, the cone shorter up in the court, really closer to the sideline. And mm -hmm. so, you know, having players be able to go one deep, one off, or two deep, one off. Um, and then, you know, it becomes a little bit more, you start in a more of a controlled setting where you're really focusing on them getting the deep ball. And then when the ball is a little bit shorter to the outside of the court, you know, getting them to understand the decision that has to be made between 
going deep and then going off based on kind of the angle of the ball that's coming in. Um, and then being able then to then incorporate the change of direction, um, you know, with that. And, and really, I think that goes to then getting the proper spacing and uh, positioning with the feet, because now you're kind of changing direction of the ball. And a, a lot of times when the athletes are moving laterally or they're not taking the right line of the ball, they start to, to crash into the ball. And that's a, a big error that I see when, when athletes are trying to change direction is just really kind of they don't have the proper spacing and then they end up uh, crashing into the ball and the ball going wide uh, uh, of the target. Got it. Okay. Thanks for that. And Jeff, we, we talked earlier about um, your experience interacting with coaches globally, not just here in the U.S., but also trying to uh, help coaches uh, across the country with the top junior players coming through. And again, don't name names here, but but what are some mistakes you've often see these coaches make when they're obviously trying to help their player reach their full potential? But uh, are there any any mistakes you'd uh, caution our coaches to look out for? Yeah, I think not having a long enough term vision for how you want to see the athlete play. I think sometimes we, you know, we get stuck in the moment and, and fixing kind of what um, needs to be fixed today instead of kind of building maybe a little bit for the future. And so I think really have a long uh, vision or a long-term approach to how you're gonna develop the game. Um, and really, I think um, sometimes you see coaches focusing too much on the weaknesses and not enough on the strengths. Um, and I really think, you know, based on some research that's been done um, is that you ultimately end up getting more out of improving your strengths uh, than you do uh, with your weaknesses, comparatively speaking. So I think you know, the return on investment comes when you build your strengths um, and then you're systematically improving the, the weaknesses that ultimately complement the strengths. And so really trying to, to really see what's going to give you the biggest bang for your buck and then, you know, cut, cut 20 to 25% of your time to address those individual areas, but spend the bulk of your time building out the, the true identity of the, of the player within the context of the long-term vision. Jeff, so I'll give you a scenario some coaches might face here with, with incoming freshmen. So they have a new player come in and, and this player believes that their transition game is their strength. But the coach is looking at it and going, no, this, this, is, this is terrible. This is a weakness. It's not your strength. But it's a hard conversation to have when a player has some idea as to what their their strengths are and what their weaknesses are, but I'm sure you you face this even at the highest levels. Like how how do you encourage coaches to have that conversation? What might that conversation look? How do you, I mean, who who's making that decision as to what the strengths and weaknesses are? Is that the player, and you just got to go with it, or is it no? I'm the coach, and this isn't a strength. These are actually your strengths. How, how might you advise coaches on having those type of conversations? No, I mean, I think a lot of times the conversation is going to start because of something maybe the athlete says that maybe the coach doesn't agree with. Um, and so, you know, I, I think you know, letting the athlete drive the conversation is really important. Um, and then I think trying to find different ways to show them, um, you know, without really uh, bullying your point across, if that, makes, if that makes sense. So I think really trying to have a conversation and a dialogue and that's where video and in, 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 in data is so great because, um, you know, the facts don't lie 
Um, you know, so at the end of the day, using information or data to support your your uh, hypotheses, for lack of better words, is uh, and then having the video to provide them the context of that um, is really kind of important. And so, you know, but in that situation, that's a good situation to have in, in a certain uh, sense because I think you're trying to look to have people developing all court games, right? And so, if someone is not afraid of moving forward a lot of times maybe it's just a matter of repetition. And so the decision, so then I think you gotta look at, okay, are the decisions really good? And it's just a matter of them having poor execution or are they not making the right decisions on how they're transitioning forward, which ultimately then needs to be addressed. So, um, you know, looking at the, it, it, uh, something that might be a weakness actually might be a strength if you actually present it in the right way and it, and it might actually help you communicate your point uh, in, in, in a way that the student athlete ends up really kind of being more receptive to, to listening and, and really having a, mm. a back and forth dialogue. Yeah, I, I love that. And really trying to focus on the decision making, like I said, it could just be repetition. They're making good decisions, but they just haven't had the repetition or maybe there's some slight technical flaw that could be fixed that that could help. But um, yeah, thank you. That's very helpful. And I think, and I think that's why when you look at you know certain game styles that take time to develop, it's it's the bigger guys, right? It's so it's the it's the John Isners, it's the Riley Opelkas. Um, you know, they took two separate paths, but they ultimately uh, you know both got to the a point where you know obviously John's been uh, in the top ten quite a bit. Riley's you know been knocking on the door, but they ultimately, if you look at probably their age. Their chronological age was probably a lot sim uh, similar to when they made those breakthroughs into the top 50. That's why an all-court game takes longer to develop, but it's why it's so impressive to see Alcaraz doing what he's doing. Because, like you said, you know, playing an all-court game takes reps in a lot of different areas, right? And so, um, you know, getting the, the reps in all the different situations to build the muscle memory takes time. So mm -hmm. I think that's also an important thing to think about is is looking at kind of the make and model or the make and build of your of your athletes and, and then based on how does that fit their game style and then you know that's going to ultimately uh, affect the timeline for for how all this stuff is going to come together at the you know at the right time mm. very good so jeff what are some of the shared characteristics of players you see who do reach their potential and how might college coaches foster these characteristics in the players that they coach? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's really simple, and in, in, in to me, it's three characteristic three characteristics. It's a kind of a a passion and a love for the sport. You, you see the best players; they love what they do. Um, you know, they compete because of their passion for the sport. So they're 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 the most competitive athletes. Um, you know. Uh, day in day out and they're always looking to find new ways to improve and to me this is driven from the things that are being exposed during competition right and so um, they're always looking at you know how am I going to find new ways to get ahead of my competition um, and they're always looking to, to, to find ways to improve whether it's Federer make you know making a switch to the larger racket or it's even you see Djokovic wearing that health and wellness patch you know, at Wimbledon, you know, he's trying to find just a little edge that's going to allow him to, to more have the mental capacity to outcompete uh, his, his opponents. And so I think to me, those would be the characteristics that really define 
the true champions uh, in our sport. And have you any thoughts on how Mike coaches foster those characteristics within their team culture? Yeah, I mean, I think finding ways to compete each day in practice and make each drill a competitive drill um, is really uh, important to building a culture of competitors. Um, this was something, you know, uh, the Smiths taught me in Indianapolis, something they did unbelievably well with their academy. Some, some of the, you know, the best American players that have come out of their academy, a guy like Rajiv Ram, um, you know, Davis Cup uh, player, Grand Slam champion. I mean, they just competed every single day and they firmly believe that you can uh, teach players to, to compete by the culture that you, you create in your uh, academies or your programs. And it starts with making the drills competitive. Mm. Um, I think this, the second thing, obviously, which is a no brainer, but I think it just continues to reinforce coaches that continue to make good recruiting, uh, 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 picks, you know, and identifying players who align with the, their philosophy and their culture that they're trying to create. Um, so if you're trying to develop a culture of, of competitors, um, you want to try to have people that, that, that have that competitive instinct, or at least that foundation in there. Um, you know, but you don't want people that are going to detract from that competitive uh, culture. Um, and then I think communicate, communicating expectations for your team and then holding the team accountable for those expectations. And um, I think that's huge. That's something that um, Jose Higueras, our director of coaching in player development, always talked about is he had his non-negotiables and, you know, it didn't matter how practice went that day, but um, he was really always looking to evaluate the non-negotiables first. And it's like, you know, it's the timeliness, it's the respect, um, you know, uh, and it's the ability to um, run for every every ball and compete for, for every shot. So it's like, you know, I think still aligning around having that growth mindset and, and focusing on the process with the understanding that results do, do matter. So it's, it's how do you find that balance, but really trying to reinforce the things that the athletes can control. And I thought that was really something pretty cool that uh, I took away from my time with Jose on the court were, were his non-negotiables. Um, and so, you know, identify what your non-negotiables are and really hold your athletes to those. Excellent. And Jeff, so if you were to, uh, or maybe you have the answer to this, how many hours of tennis footage do you think you've watched over the last decade? Oh gosh, I don't know. I, I couldn't even put a time on it, but oh. I mean, when we were, when we, we were processing, uh, gosh, over close to 2000 matches a year with the USTA for our junior, uh, transition and pro pro athletes, we were doing, you know, over a hundred and some scouting instances for, um, you know, the athletes competing in the grand slams. Um, and just the special projects that we've done for the athletes and, and working with their coaches to answer questions that they have um, is it, just, I couldn't even, I don't know, uh, but it's been, it's been a lot. And I think that's, that's, you know, it's been, it's been a lot more recently. And I think it's, it's because um, a lot of the coaches have gone to really kind of starting to ask a lot more uh, questions um and really instead of trying to think they have the answers and i think that's really um use the technology to help you answer questions that you have just don't think that you know your eye validate your eye it would be it would be something i, I would give as a takeaway it's like it the ability to do it is there and and then 
and then how you can use that to then communicate your message really is going to resonate well with the athletes uh, that you're working with today. Very good. And so, Jeff, you've been working with with college teams now since the spring and and, uh, we'll be working with a lot more here as we head into the fall season. What are some of the services that you're offering college teams, college coaches, college programs? Yeah, I mean, I think really the the whole concept of really helping them maximize their investments in their technologies. If they don't have any technologies, but they're looking to try to look to um, find a technology that really can maximize what they're looking to, to use it for. Um, you know, I have a lot of expertise in using a lot of the different technologies out there. Um, but then really trying to help them take a lot of this data that they're capturing and turn it into insights that they can use to help manage the long-term developments of their of their players and their teams. And so um, it's really uh, helping these coaches um, be a lot more comfortable with how they um, use this information and then how they integrate it into their, their day-to-day programming. Okay. And, and Jeff, if coaches are interested in getting in touch with you, where, where can they find you? Um, just right now they can email me. Um, I'm still working on getting all my social media set up, but I think that's one thing that I look forward to, to being able to do is share just some, some ideas and thoughts and try to get some really good conversation, uh, the, together around, uh, you know, how we can all continue to improve as coaches. And so you can email me at, at G Russell, uh, R U S S E L L at spin S P I N N U S.com. And I'd be more than happy to uh, to to talk with you and, and, and understand kind of where you're at and how we can continue to help uh, provide you world-class service. Excellent. Well, Jeff, thank you for joining me on the on the podcast today and sharing some of your experiences and, and wisdom with our coaches. And we're, we're glad to have you in the college coaching space. So hope you're with us for many years to come. Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave.